a minute. Do you know I said my kids? How yes. dare you speak to me? How dare you disrupt my peace, right? Like, do you know what I went through yeah. to be in this world? Yep. <laughs> I'm yep. about that life. And yes. when I said it's not the typical, I'm about that life, I'll beat you to no, know I'm about that life. I'm about living my life and living life the way that I want to live it. And if you don't like it, I can't create space for that. No. Welcome to Black Cancer, a podcast about the nuances of our lives as people of color told through our cancer journeys. I'm creator and host, Jodi Ambury. Our guest on today's episode is Tamika Felder. Tamika is a successful nonprofit founder, a cancer advocate, an award-winning director, an inspirational leader, and so, so, so much more. Her organization is called Survivor. C-E-R-V-I-V-O-R, and it's a movement to end cervical cancer. You can learn more about Survivor at survivor.org. Tamika was diagnosed with cervical cancer over 20 years ago and has been unstoppable building her dreams. Her courage, wisdom, and spark are absolutely contagious. She's the author of, seriously, what are you waiting for? 13 actions to ignite your life and achieve the ultimate comeback. She empowers everyday people to bounce back by equipping them with the tools to find perspective after tragedy and loss. You will absolutely want to take notes and set aside some time for reflection after this conversation. I am still beaming with everything she shared. Here's my conversation with Tamika. Look at you in twist out today. Yes. Full of sweat from the gym, but you know. Better than me. <laughs> you are better than me. They were going live today, so I was like, I should look a little decent today in the gym. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Do you like going to the gym? Like No, but I do it because I feel better and I want to live longer. <laughs> and these, bones, <laughs> these radiated bones, I need the movement. But no, no. And no, <laughs> I've made it a priority. That's the only reason it's getting done. It's like, you can't do anything else until you do that. And so sometimes it takes me all day. I'm literally at midnight and I'm like, I got to do it. And I'm like, if it's going to happen, I got to keep going. I appreciate that. So would you work out at midnight? Yeah, I have. Me too. Yeah. God bless my neighbors. Cause I'll be on that Peloton bike. <laughs> And we have a Survivor Slim Down group that's on Facebook and oh, really? it's open to all cancer patients. And so, and it just promotes a healthy living, whatever that looks like for you. And so we have challenges and different things like that. So for April, we just finished a squat challenge and now we're doing, begrudgingly, a jumping jack challenge for me. <laughs> Not trying to do that. But you can modify, which I will be doing. <laughs> we need to like step out on the sides. <laughs> You're still moving and stretching your body, so it's you still you still are doing it. You know? <laughs> how do you how do you deal with like modifications? 
you know, I want to do better, but then my body's like, no girl, like this is what you're capable of. You know, I pushed myself actually last week with something and I couldn't even turn my neck. I hurt myself. So I learned a very valuable lesson and I just, and I was scared of falling. (laughs) And it's all because not because of age, but yeah, I mean, age definitely, but because my bones have been radiated, I, mm mm-mm. Mm-mm. Like speaking of like being a cancer survivor and weight loss. And I think weight loss is hard to talk about because and it's not just weight loss. So even though it's called survivor slim now, really for me, um, uh-huh. but it really is about whole wellness. Mm. So a lot of people in there aren't necessarily for weight loss. There's some people in there who are trying to gain weight actually. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, it, so we have a, a full spectrum, but it literally, the, the woman who uh, runs it for me, she lost 113 pounds and she got all these certifications in uh, cancer wellness. So we have the expert in there that's really good. And she definitely pushes us, but also understands our unique limitations. Coming to terms with cancer-related physical limitations and the mental and emotional hurdles of that, in addition to the physical hurdles of that. Like, can you say more about that? Because you're speaking my language and I think this is the first time I'm even talking to someone about this specifically. And so I'm getting excited because I have been really struggling with these ideas myself. When you're diagnosed with cancer, there's so many changes that happen. Obviously there are changes that happen to your body, whether it's the loss of an organ or, you know, for me, it was radiation burns. I went home with an open wound. You know, I've always been overweight, but I've always had an active life, even though, you know, my, you know, body fat composition wasn't what America's scale says is normal. The whole thing is rooted in white supremacy anyway, blah, 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 BMI. So, so I have to say, with acknowledging that I do need to lose weight and be healthy, but there is nothing wrong with me in sense of how I feel about myself and how I love myself. So with that said, cancer came in and being 25, you know, I was used to going to the club, popping it, knocking it, dropping it low, all this other stuff. (laughs) And I couldn't do any of that. I mean, something as simple as going to the mall with my friends was such a hard task. And, you know, for your audience who's been through this or they're just starting out, it zaps your energy, right? You do all these things to kind of keep the energy up, but cancer zaps your energy, right? It's emotionally taxing, but it's physically taxing. And so we don't talk enough about the importance of weight-bearing exercises. We think, you know, when we're older, right, we'll need to do this. And so there's this whole mental aspect of it, of especially if you're a young adult that's diagnosed with cancer, that you feel like you're maybe a geriatric cancer patient. And it's really hard, right? It messes with you psychologically. But there are things that I wish I would have done then that I know now. Um, I wasn't an active person in terms of going to the gym and working out. You know, I see people going through treatment and I was like, they're better than me. Look at them, right? Look at them. So, but there is, there's science that says that it does help you, you know, it strengthens your immunity, all this other stuff. And then there are people who like, we just can't even fathom going to the gym. I'm speaking to myself here. Yeah. 
you just want to have enough energy to be able to go to treatment, get home, and just do it all again on repeat for however long treatment is. But it's definitely conversations that we need to have. So one of my things 20 years later that I make sure I do now is I tell people like, even if it's something gentle, if it's yoga, if it's stretching, you know, going out for walks, you know, cause not only is it about getting up a sweat, it's really just about movement, making sure that you have some type of movement in, in your life. And so I think it's really important. We have a group survivor slim down. It's a private group on Facebook, open to all cancer survivors any diagnosis, any age. And it's run by a cancer survivor who lost 113 pounds. She's now certified in all types of cancer wellness. It's not only for people who want to lose weight. It's for people who just want to keep active. For me, it has been a journey. You know, I was on this past, you know, at least I thought I was before I was diagnosed. Now going through this and at the ripe age of almost 46, I want to live as long as possible. And I want to live healthy. You know, am I, when, when I'm working out, am I scared I'm going to fall and crack mm -hmm. a bone? Yes, because that's <laughs> what treatment did to me. And I know my bone density ratio is low. And so you want to be careful with those things. As cancer patients, we have to know our limits. We tell this to people in life in general. And it's especially important for us because, you know, there's some people, they want to go out there and they just want to like out the gate, like be rocky or whatever. And for a lot of us, it's just not going to happen. So be gentle with yourself, but also push yourself. And when I say yeah. push yourself, it doesn't mean that I want you to go from zero to a hundred, but maybe you click the dial up to 10, <laughs> you know, I did something today. Like I planked without modifying it. Now I didn't stay up the whole minute, but I was proud of myself. For me, I try to pick something every time I work out to push myself and it doesn't always work out. Right. Yeah. But I try, I try to do something. Sometimes I'm hard on me and I find myself in a bucket of tears because I'm like, why is it so hard for me to do certain things? And when I have extra pain on my left side, it's like, well, that was my primary chemo arm. Yeah. And you just have to be gentle. Like your body's different. I'm all about acceptance. And these are the things that we have to accept so that we can move forward. It sounds so seductive and it's so hard. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely so hard. And I was definitely one of the ones that, like, I was like, all right, cool. I'm out the hospital. I'm out the gate. Like, let's go. And it's like, girl, you cannot walk. Like, that was... <laughs> that, that's what? why I always share about walking around the mall. Like, just, I mean, even getting from the car to the entrance of the mall. And then I was like, whew, I'm out of breath. Yeah. Wait a minute. This isn't just because I'm overweight. This is a different type of tired, you know? And realizing that your energy... Your, your energy is just completely zapped. Yeah. And the neuropathy. Neuropathy. <gasps> Nobody, no, okay. <laughs> Nobody knows what neuropathy is unless you feel it. You, can, you cannot, people who do not, who do not have neuropathy do not understand. And even when we do have it, it takes us a minute to realize exactly what it is and what's happening. Oh, it took me like three years, like literally recently yeah. to like, huh, it's neuropathy. That's what I'm dealing with. You're like, oh, my foot fell asleep, but it's different. 
Why is it waking up? I'm massaging it. Why is it waking up? <laughs> and so I tell people, I was like, just about, you know what it feels like when your foot falls asleep? And they're like, yes. And I was like, so just imagine that, but worse and always <laughs> and everywhere. Yeah. Yes. You have to get used to so many things and you're just like, Lord, do I need another thing? <laughs> I know. <laughs> But it is what it is. And we have to adapt. And I hate the phrase new normal. I hate it. I hate it. I might edit. I I hate it so much. I might edit it out of this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I might just, I might just do. Yeah. Like you said the first word. (laughs) Yes. And it's like, it's new, but there's nothing normal about it. And I guess that is the entire point of it. Yeah. But you know, we, we buck against that. Like we don't want to go with it. For me, I wanted to, okay, I'm done with treatment. I feel good. Now let me go back right where I stopped, where cancer came into my life and pick up where I was. And I just couldn't do it. And the more that I talk to people, they can't do it either. And if you're lucky enough to do it, God bless you. But most people can't go back and pick up from where they were because you're different. And so a lot of what I do is I try to tell people that you have to accept what happened to you, but also accept what you're transitioning into. And it sounds so macabre, right? It sounds like this awful thing yeah but but it doesn't have to be but you like anything you know I tell people when you're growing out your hair or you're transitioning from (laughs) natural to you know what Mm -hmm. you 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 go through this transition phase now cancer is the extreme transition phase but it's still a transition phase nonetheless and the more that you fight against that acceptance and that transition the longer you will be stuck and you can't move forward and it's hard yeah it's a hard pill to swallow because you've been through so much but you're ready i'm just i'm gonna be me do me i'm gonna live my life but it's like you're in this in between yes you're the person that you were and then you're the person post-cancer and what we know is post-cancer really isn't post-cancer because you just really move into the survivorship phase. So you went through treatment, hell, and now you're in the survivorship phase and you're trying to navigate being okay. Mm. And what is that like? So maybe you're in the survivorship phase, but you're, you're in long-term treatment, right? Yeah. Or maybe you will always be in treatment. And you'll always be fighting cancer. And so you have to navigate, how do I live my life despite constantly being in treatment? Or how about- Or constantly being in pain. pain. Yes. Constantly being in pain, like constantly medicated if if that's treatment or pain management. Or maybe do you ever get out of a survivorship phase? So I think everyone is different, right? So for me, there were times when I never felt good right? It's weird because did I feel good? I had happy moments and I was living my life, but things were painful, things, brain fog, all this other stuff. So I never felt really great. 
And when people were like, well, you know, I, I hate when you go for a checkup and they're like, which one are you? Are you smiley face, happy face, frowny face, mad face, angry face? And I'm like, I'm all of it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so what time is it? Um... <laughs> what time is it? What day is it? I'm all of these things. And what I realized, and especially now, and, and, and I'm a 20-year cancer survivor, right? So I'm a long-term, long-term survivor, thank God. Yeah. But this is the best that I've ever felt. And I don't feel like 100% good, but when I look at how I felt, what I was dealing with, this is the best that I have ever felt, but I worked hard to get here, right? So it wasn't like one day I just woke up and I felt good. I actively worked at feeling better. I mean, the whole bone loss thing, arthritis, you know, as young adult cancer patients, you may have heart issues. I remember one time they thought I had this circulation issue. Thank God I didn't, but I had to go through all these testings just because I wasn't feeling good. And at the end of the day, what they realized, I had radiation damage where my hip was. Mm. That's what was causing me all this pain. Of course, at first they were like, well, it's your, probably you got a heart issue because you need to lose weight. I, you, you know, but at the end of the day, cancer is the gift that keeps on giving. And it was the effects from radiation damage. And, you know, over time, I, I have to stretch, you know, again, not because I'm getting older, because yeah. you have to stretch for that anyway. Yep, yep. On top of everything that my body went through at 25 because of my cancer diagnosis. So it's, it's, it's learning that when these things come up, because I will tell you, I will freak out in a doctor's office. I will cry. I have PTSD. One of my doctors has this sign about, you know, I catered or cowards. And I was like, you have that sign for me. People think because I've been poked so many times because of cancer treatment that I'm good with needles. No, I'm not. No. <laughs> it's the opposite. <laughs> exactly. Like I went and I got my um, first dose uh, this past week. And mind you, again, in the hospital, and you probably longer than me as someone who went through chemotherapy and radiation, like for me, I was just like constantly poked every freaking day. And every time you get an MRI, you have to get the ugh, IV and all that kind of stuff. And I went and I sat there and it's just in my shoulder, right? And it's just like that one little poke. And I sat there and I'm remembering all these other times that I had to get stuck with needles and like the burden of that and the fact that you can't avoid it. Like, and, and, and for me, like being in the hospital, it felt like, um, like a loss of my body in a way. Like I could just be laying there, hanging out with my family, hanging out with my friends, someone will pop up and they need to poke me with a couple needles. And there was this guy who would come in and I was the first room on his morning rounds to do blood draw. And he would just walk up in my room at five o'clock in the morning. And I had no choice. I had no, no agency in that. And all of that was rushing to me just to get a vaccination. You know, I've talked about this before. When I go and get my annuals at my gynecologist, you know, you got to get in the hospital gown. And I could be fine emotionally going to the doctor. I know it's going to happen. And then as soon as I put the gown on, it's like I become a different person and I'm like so scared and I'm, I'm crying and I'm like, I'm short with the nurses and the doctor. And it's just like, you know, when you talk about cancer and your medical traumas and your medical journey a lot, people think you're fine. But there are a lot of ways that I am more fine than I was a couple of years ago. And there are a lot of moments that still 
trigger that trauma. I'm still not okay. I'm still not used to, I'm not used to it. I don't know. You just hit the nail on the head. They don't look at cancer as a trauma. Yeah. It is a trauma. We do suffer from PTSD from the trauma of cancer. I mean, if you just think about, you know, from time of diagnosis, things happen so fast and you've got a lot coming at you and you're supposed to make life deciding decisions, right? Yeah. It's a whirlwind. And how do you even keep up with it? It's, it's nauseating. It's, it's dizzying. It's, it's, you just feel like you are coming undone, right? With every spin, part of you ends up over there. You spin around again. Some part of you is over there and you're just trying to cope, right? You're just trying to make it another day, but we get so fixated on when, when is it going to end? When are we going to be done with this? Because we're human. Yes. And we want it because it's awful, right? Like I've never met anyone who's just like, oh my God, cancer is amazing. <laughs> Yo, let me tell you something. Cancer, ooh, child. Like if I think of things that are good, it's like, okay, if you force me to come up with ways that cancer was great, I would say, oh, I understand truly the meaning of life right now. That's great to understand that. It's yes. great to know why it's important to live your one life. None of us are getting out of here alive. Like this is- That's it, damn true. Right? Like we're not getting out of here alive. So we have to decide how are we going to live our life? And I always say, if you want to live your life and Netflix and chill and be the best couch potato ever- that is your right to do it. Yeah. If there are things that you want to do and you've got to work on them, that's your right to do it too. So as long as you're just living life on your terms, because life comes with an expiration date. You know, I talk about this in my book that you have to literally like not give up. And for me, when I was diagnosed, I wasn't to the point where I was like, you know, if it's my time, it's my time. No, I'm not ready to go. I have things that I still want to do, things that I want to experience. And even when I got at my darkest point, because there were times when I wanted to give up, you know, if you've never experienced trap gas, (laughs) 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 I had a radical hysterectomy and anybody listening who's ever experienced trap gas, they know exactly what I'm talking about it will make you see the light and go into the light. <laughs> you wouldn't think something like that would, would do it, but it is true. Trap gas will make you do your final rites and say goodbye to your loved ones and friends. And you just feel like you can't go on. And Wait, so- can I just, can I just double down on this? I had a moment in the hospital where I had to pass my first bowel movement <laughs> after the surgery. And- it was it's terrifying. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally, I want to walk into the light. You know what I'm saying? And then I'm like, you ready to go off a of shit? Like that's, that's how you want to go out. And I, like, it was such a, it is so physically taxing. It's so emotionally taxing. And I was really, I was really ready to go. I was done. It is terrifying. <laughs> And listen, these are the things, right, that we would never talk about. But cancer, this is that's the gift of cancer. Like. Now I'm the person.
person that my friends go to when they're having I call myself a poop therapist yes because I've been going to like, talk you know, about a lot of poop <laughs> yes and so my friends who've had babies you know for folks who have had children like getting that back in order you know is yeah. really difficult because that's also very like a traumatizing right. surgery something that happens to your body and they'll hit me up like Leo I'm experiencing constipation I was like let me tell you here are all your options <laughs> sometimes you just need mcdonald's so <laughs> and, so, and sometimes you really do so no but yeah like there i think there are nuances in the cancer experience and for all different ways that people have experienced cancer types of cancer and different ways that people were treated for cancer and like that's something that's been important to me about this podcast too and things that i had in my experience as well is like questioning okay did I even really have cancer because I didn't go through radiation I didn't go through chemotherapy and then I met other people who had surgery and saw a lot of um you know like their experiences we resonated with each other but then I talked to people who've gone through chemo who've gone through radiation and there's so much overlap in our journeys even if our pathways were different and I think you know if we talk about the gifts of cancer what I hope, at least in the people that I've met, is that there's more openness in that and like really understanding and being curious about and giving space for the nuances of people's journeys, even if they're different than my own. Whereas I feel like when it comes to like pop cancer, like pop culture cancer, how we talk about cancer as a culture, as a society, it flattens those nuances. Mm -hmm. And it's all about beat cancer, kick cancer's ass, you got this. And it just feels so limited in how we get to express and understand our own experiences. I think it's because we went from the exact opposite of the spectrum. So when I was diagnosed in 2001, cancer was still this thing where it wasn't really empowering. And even though he fell from grace, Lance Armstrong worked really hard to yeah. put this face in this champion, if you will, you know, the whole Live Strong movement on cancer, right? Yeah. But then it still felt like a death sentence, right? That it was this really bad thing. And so cancer still is this bad thing, but we become desensitized to it because it's in songs, it's in movies, it's in TV shows. So if we see someone who looks, quote unquote, like a cancer patient, it's not as jarring as it once was. And on one hand, that's really good. But on another hand, it really sucks because it's just like, oh, well, you get cancer and you beat it, right? You, yeah. you fight like hell and that's it. And it sounds good saying it, but it's the farthest from the truth, you know? And I think that impacts your social support too, because people who maybe not aren't intimately involved in your journey have that like, fight this, you got this narrative. Mm -hmm. And because it's not that. It can... But it's the one thing you have no control over. Yeah, yeah. So you can fight it, but you've got no control over it. Yes. Like, I can't do anything about my neuropathy. It takes work to mentally wrap your brain around the fact that your body grew something that threatened your life. An alien. And, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's kind of how I kind of think about the tumor. Like, where'd this alien come from? Yes. <laughs> and why did it come to me? What did I do? <laughs> okay, so I want to get into your journey. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, because I said this before, you got diagnosed at 25. I, I got diagnosed at 32. 
And I was really struggling at that time already before I even had the news with, all right, this is what life is supposed to be. You graduate at 22, you get a good job, you find somebody. All my older siblings all got married at 26. 26 came and gone for me. I had no body. You know, 30, I'm supposed to have a kid. Da, 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 da. There are all these like social expectations of what's supposed to happen when in your life, especially at this young adult developmental phase. And when none of those things were happening for me, and then this thing entered my life, which was not in the plan, there was no expected milestone of cancer (laughs) as a young person, that really messed with me. And so I'm curious in, in what was your experience, like your mindset in your 20s, expectations for what your life was supposed to be like if you got wrapped up in that socialization as I did and how your diagnosis complicated that when that was happening for you so young? Sure. You know, I have always been a dreamer, heads in the clouds type of person. I mean, if you look at my second grade report card, it says Tamika's daydreaming yet again, you know? And I was daydreaming about being this TV producer, a host, the next Oprah. And so having cancer was not in the chronological plans of Tamika lives her best life, right? And yeah, the irony is that when I was diagnosed, I remember like, so it happened in spring, right? And I remember thinking like, God, life is good. I love 25. Like, I wanna stay 25 forever. Not knowing that I would almost be 25 forever. But But I do, I remember thinking like, I did it. I left South Carolina and I love South Carolina, but I wanted to experience living somewhere else. I wanted to work in television. You know, if you know that old movie broadcast news, I love that. Like I used to watch Current Affair and I remember I used to tell my parents, I'm going to do that. They just like, okay, you know, if you're you're a child, if you're exactly, I'm definitely a third child. And if you know and live in color, like my cousin, who's like a brother to me, he calls me little magic. He literally Mm. magic. So you know the character, little magic, the Wayne sister, like you could do it magic. You could do a little magic. And so my family, you know where there was this age gap 20 some years between me and my siblings it's like you can do it you can do it but I actually did it right and and I was doing it really well I was on the cusp of accepting a position in New York and I was like oh you can't tell me nothing like nope can't touch me at all like this is happening like it's going down. I had this whole thing. Then I'm going to go to LA from there and world domination. Oprah, look out. Here I come, girl. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know how many people have been gunning for Oprah? Yeah. Like decades. But you know what I realized? And someone mm-hmm. said this to me and, it, and I got it. And they were like, well, why do you have to be the next Oprah? Why can't you just be Tamika Felder? And yeah. Oprah's killing it right Oprah's now. Oprah's <laughs> killing it. But we each have this magic exactly this light that is inside of us and the difference with oprah and if you really know her story and you look at everything all the obstacles she kept going after what she wanted yep you know was she defeated at times in her life absolutely but she never gave up on who she was and or, or what she wanted 
And so, and 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 about the Oprah thing, I I think I did a project on her in the fifth grade, and I didn't understand it at the time the way I understand it now. And I think about this because I'm attracted to people who, or some narratives around what happens to your life after a trauma. Oprah was raped and sexually assaulted when she was a child, a child. I think she was like nine or something. Mm-hmm. And her trauma is a part of who she is. Oh, she doesn't hide it. Which, I mean, she's a new book out. What happened to you? You know, it's all about, mm, yeah. you know, here's what happened to you and how do you move forward beyond it? Yeah. And, and yeah. I love that. I can't wait. Like, it's definitely going to be on my summer reading list, right? But, you know, for me, it things were happening. And I can't say I had- You were finding your own magic. Like you yeah. were in your own yes. groove. Yeah, I, I, I remember that. the first time I got to produce live news and I felt that power. Woo! I felt that, you know, yeah, there are these talking heads on television, but they're saying and reading what I wrote, like mm. my mind, right? And it was great. And I had this boil under my arm. <laughs> and I had this five suite at the time. And if anybody's familiar with, you know, the Beltway in Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, or any type of highway, you know, being a country girl, I love my five speed. But in a city, it's annoying when you have traffic or whatever. And yeah, I was telling my mom about it. And she was like, well, you've been doing that, dealing with it for a while. And I had, of course, all these home remedies. You know, I remember my aunt said, put cheesecloth on it, a hot <laughs> compress, and it'll draw, you know, the pus Yes, out. Oh, yes, yeah. the oh, hot compress. Listen, listen, I tell people, like, I have a little home remedy for everything. Like, my people, they, they, you, as people, we always did what we had to do to survive. And, you know, when you weren't allowed to go to hospitals or doc see doctors you had to come up with your own things right and they made the do with what they had and my mom was like well you've done all those things now it's time for you to go to the doctor and I went to the doctor and I was starting a new job right working for a new station that was offering full benefits because I didn't have health benefits before a lot of people who work freelance they they get it they understand and I was 25 I'm like I don't care this job is great I mean yep. 25 I'm not gonna get sick <laughs> you know and, and and you know what I'll say like because I remember when I was just getting my first jobs and the folks from the health insurance companies they come and they're like you could choose a high deductible plan or this plan or whatever and then they kind of push on you like, well, you know, if you're young, if you don't really get sick, you can do a higher deductible plan. And I played myself and I was on that for like a year. And I'm like, this is whack. Cause I actually, this is like when I was trying to get diagnosed, I was like, I'm actually going to the doctor a lot. Cause I started experiencing symptoms. I never took the least amount of money out of my paycheck. <laughs> exactly. And I think as a young person, you're just like, you're gambling yes. and you're betting on your youth to keep you protected. Mm-hmm. But it's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. So, you know, when I went to this outpatient, emergency outpatient place, doctor or nurse doing intake, and you know, you're filling out the forms, and then they come in, they look at the forms, they ask you this question, when was your last physical, da, 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 all this, I was like, oh, when was it? Like, maybe three years ago? Yeah. I the last doctor I saw, 
was going to get a pap and again no one wakes up and like oh my god it's pap day i love pap day i love yes. putting my feet up in the stirrups and when strangers Can't look wait. down on my coochie and then they yep. call other people in it's a hot there's this whole thing right but this woman she said to me she said your belly's so big it is funny because i was so much smaller then she was like your belly are these so the actual big. words she said to yeah, you these are the actual i am not paraphrasing she said your belly's so big if you were pregnant you wouldn't know and i was like you know i would think and i remember i was so hot like i could feel the temperature rising i said no no i'll come back i'll reschedule she's like no 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 no. because i mean i'm naked right naked and i was just like no we're not going for it and i'm not blaming my cancer diagnosis on her i'm sharing the story as a way to say one for the medical folks who may be listening your bedside manner matters and your words and think before you speak. That's one side of it. But also for the patients, because of that experience with the doctor, I still should have gotten screened. Maybe not by her, but I should have scheduled another appointment with someone else in the practice or called my insurance to get a new another referral or whatever. But I didn't, right? So that's all a part of it. And these are things that people need to be mindful of you. You don't fat shame your patients. There's a way to tell your patient that they need to work on their health without fat shaming them. So, and, and, and I'm not even a sensitive person in that way. Right. But it rubbed me the wrong way. So anyway. But that erodes trust. Cause that happened to me. Like, yes. you know, someone said something to me, it made me feel, ugh, it disturbed me so much that I didn't go back to the doctor for a year. And so saying the wrong thing, approaching someone the wrong way could mean life or death for someone if they're in a situation where that gap of not seeking healthcare changes the game for the trajectory of their lives. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, they recommended a doctor. And I remember I was thinking like, you just want to get some patients for your wife. But this (laughs) doctor ended up being like (laughs) the best doctor ever. I call her the Persian grandma because she was this older, little tiny older woman. But she was, I mean, a presence, right? Yeah. She was something. She was like, well, Tamika, we don't have your um, medical history. So I need you to come back in two weeks. I was like, I can't come back in two weeks. Like I'm a busy TV producer in Washington, D.C. Did you not know? But you know, this was her rule. And you know, if you if you can see her right now, like I'm visualizing that moment, you kind of scary, right? And so you're like, let me, let me come back in two weeks. And I remember I had on my fabulous Tarji suit, because you know I had a bump increase in my paycheck. <laughs> so I was like, let me, let me rock this power pewter, you know, gray suit from Tarji. Had my new bag, all this other stuff. And so when I went back, she was going over all the tests, right? Know this, know that, whatever. And then she said, let's talk about your pap. And for me, it was literally like a scene out of a movie. It was like the bottom fell out. And I couldn't believe that this was happening. And I foolishly thought, this woman is a lunatic. I know what cancer looks like. My dad died of cancer. I had uncles and aunts who died of cancer. I don't have cancer. Do I look like someone that has cancer? No, I don't look like someone who has cancer. And I, of course, then you're thrown into the space where on one hand, people are telling you, don't worry, we see this all the time. I'm sure it's nothing. 
Yep. Then also things are moving fast and they want me to go see this specialist and do that. And I'm just like, I started this new job. I'm about to get fired. I can't get fired, (laughs) you know? And so I didn't know it then, but I know it now. I saw so many doctors and got so many second opinions because I was praying that out of all of the doctors, someone would tell me that all the other doctors got it wrong and I didn't have cancer. But the truth was I did have cancer. And in order to save my life, I had to have a radical hysterectomy, which meant losing my fertility. Um, I wasn't in a rush to have children. I had this, it was definitely career focused. Did I want to have a family and my own children at some point in my life? Absolutely. I figured I'd be like my mom. My mom had my sister when she was 18 and my brother a few years after that. She didn't have me until she was 42. So I thought I'd be like that. I'd have kids later in life. And it was devastating for me. Like I, I can't even really articulate how devastating it was for me to lose my fertility. And I was thinking, well, what did they say to you? Like, like, how did you? I was thinking so, I didn't die, but I, yeah. the entire time I was scared I was going to die. The entire time. When people yeah. are like, but do your faith didn't see you through? I'm like, no, I questioned my faith. And I, there are people who don't like to hear that, but it's my truth. Like, yeah, I was afraid that I was going to die. So, you know, hearing those words, you have cancer. Just, I can't even say all the curse words I want to say right now. I mean, you, this is my podcast. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> no, I have a potty mouth. I love the Lord, but I got a potty mouth. <laughs> yes. Sometimes these words are appropriate when we tell our stories. But I, I literally, and I'm a talker, right? If, if you guys yeah. haven't noticed that, uh-huh. I was speechless. It's one of the very few times in my life so I went from shock to anger to so distraught and distressed. They had to give me something yeah. and call my emergency contact to come and get me. And this is all in the same appointment when they're told when they told you. All in the same appointment. And it's funny because, you know, for those of you who have experienced chemo brain, you forget segments of life, right? Like you just get stuff. Like it could be something that just happened or it could be something, you know, from years ago. And it's hard for you to remember. And there's so much that I have forgotten, but there's so much about this one appointment that I do remember. And I remember just kind of sitting there and it's kind of muffled because I had checked out. I could hear people coming over to me and asking if I was okay. The nurse, I remember bringing me a cup of water and I remember I wanted to slap that shit out of her hand. And yep. I, didn't, I didn't, but I was so angry because I was just like, how dumb can you be to think I have cancer? And you know, saying it out loud, I know it sounds crazy, but I literally was just like, I don't have cancer. Tell me I have high blood pressure. Hell, I'm fat. Tell me I got diabetes. I don't want these things. But tell me these things yeah. and it makes sense in my mind. How the hell do I have cancer? Yeah. And I just couldn't wrap my mind around it, right? I mean, talk about having, you know, I say like, I may have been like one click from a psychotic break when this happened yeah. because it was so devastating to me. I literally saw my life flash in the front of my face 
and it was going to stop at 25. And I was just like, that's not my story. That can't be how my story ends. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, at 46, I don't want my story to end here either. But I definitely, it's like it can't. It can't end here at 25. I haven't started living yet. Yeah. Like, you're just kind of on your way. And then this hits. Like, so how did that appointment compare to, and I don't know if this happened in the same conversation that you would have to have a radical hysterectomy? No, it, um, it happened weeks later. So my doctor was trying to get me into Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. So about 45 minutes away from my, where I live in Upper Marlboro, just outside DC. And I remember thinking like, I gotta go to Hopkins. From what I know about Hopkins, you got to be real effed up if you go in there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they talk about medical miracles and marvels, you know, things yes. happening at Hopkins. Listen, I don't want to go to the hospital where when you check out at Whole Foods, they're like, do you want to donate $1 to <laughs> that hospital? I mean, I, I was like, Hopkins? Like, yeah, no. And she was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, no. But remember, I told you, Persian grandmother, you know? When you have to go to the hospital that people all over the world fly to to yes. get treatment, you know you're in a different exactly. ball game. Exactly. Yeah, I went to Sloan Kettering in New York, yeah, and yeah. it's like you know, I was like, damn, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she goes there, shit, <laughs> <laughs> because it's this, it's this whole mind, yeah, you know, like, the mind Yes, I'll say it. Yeah, I mean, it's this whole thing. Like, I'm going there. Yeah. So anyway. She couldn't get me in at first. <laughs> then I was, you know, on one part I was happy, but she would not give it up, right? She yeah. wouldn't let it go. And she got me in. And I remember being pissed because I had to drive to freaking Baltimore. Baltimore people don't come at me in my DMs. I love Charm don't City. At me. Yes. Like, don't come for me. I love Charm City. I just didn't feel like driving there. <laughs> not trying to drive there for my cancer treatment. So... I get there and then I'm pissed because I got to wait and I got this new job and the lobby is filled with all this maternal child stuff, pregnant people, you know, we didn't have smartphones, if you will, right? And so I couldn't just get online and, and occupy my mind. I was just like, I'm leaving, screw this. So I mosey up and I go tell the nurse, like I'm leaving and this sister, Right, it's always on us. It's always on us. <laughs> she said, I saw your chart. Your doctor has called up here and begged to get you in. She was like, You see this person over here? They came from Bermuda. You see that person over there? They came from Canada. They're waiting too. They have a flight same day. Yeah. And you know, I'm all feeling I'm, like inside. I'm like, I don't care. Give yeah. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> And she was just like, sometimes people get news and they need a little extra time. One day you might need a little extra time. Yeah. And it slapped me across the face. She might as well said, hey girl, check yourself. Yeah. And I did. So I went and sat right, right back down in the little waiting area. My bad. My bad. Uh. <laughs> So then the doctor comes in. I see the doctor. He looks like maybe 10 years older than me. And I'm like, no. 
Because I'm 25. I'm like, maybe he might be 35, right? Like, yeah, maybe. yeah. And I'm being generous with that. So I'm like, you just came out of medical school now. <laughs> you know, not that. And I remember he laughed because I asked him, I said, how old? That was literally, he's, he's walking so out low from, and I was rude as fuck, you know? And <laughs> yeah. I was like, how old are you? And he kind of smirked and laughed. And he told me, and I don't remember, but I was, I was pretty on the money. I think he was like 38 or something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was rude. Like we, we've laughed about it since then, but Again, 25, think you know everything. And I remember years later, the nurse telling me, and it makes me emotional to think about, he really wanted to save you. He looked at your chart and it made him so sad that you were so young and he really wanted to save you. And I was so rude to that man. Yeah. Um, but that was the first time I heard radical hysterectomy and I wanted to, um, I said radical hysterectomy so many times in these last 20 years, right? Sometimes I say it and it doesn't bother me. Sometimes I say it and like now you get tears. And I know why I'm crying because I survived it. And when you're diagnosed with cancer, you don't necessarily think you are going to survive it even when they tell you you're probably going to survive it right but you know that whatever even if you survive it you never come out the same no and i've seen people's lives just devastated from experiencing cancer and so for me when i heard you have cancer you have to get a radical hysterectomy and then you hear all the potential complications and things that could happen. You you check out, right? Like mm-hmm. you feel all the emotions you, and everyone's different, but you check out, you want to fight it. You want to beat it. God, you just want it to be a dream. You want it not to be real, but then it is real. And just like that my life changed i wasn't prepared for it and who's ever prepared for it yeah nobody's sitting around waiting for the worst news of their lives people always ask me how did i get through it right and so you know jesus prayer loving family and friends but the the for real for real i don't know i don't but i know i did and i'm so grateful for it and you know i remember like just you know my prayer was like god if you get me out of this i'll be the best human ever like i was some terrible human before that (laughs) like god i will be the best human ever i will you know live my life and do this and you, you know and I just, I wanted to survive. I mean, I would have done probably almost anything except sell my soul to the devil because I'm too scared. Like I went to Croatia and it was, I I feel like if hell is hot, it's probably as hot as Croatia. Like I can't survive it. (laughs) I tested it out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I can't, I can't go to hell. I got to go to heaven. (laughs) It needs to be in a temperature controlled situation. (laughs) Yeah. And it was hard. A lot of times 
some of us who may have been diagnosed at an earlier stage, we can just diminish what has happened. You, you meet other people, you hear their stories, and you're like, I had a cakewalk compared to that. But the truth is, if I have tunnel vision, I just look at my story and I think about what happened to me. It was hard. It was hell. Going to radiation treatment every five days out the week, right? And when they bring chemo to you, they're so careful about it. The gloves that they have on, the way they hold it, the things that you have to do to prepare the body before you receive it, hydrating, checking your vitals, getting stick, prodded, all this other stuff, and making sure that none of it drips on them, right? Because it's so poisonous, because the poison runs through your body. And I'm thankful for treatment, right? I'm thankful for that chemo, thankful for radiation that burned my body from the inside out. But I want listeners to think about that for a minute. You have to poison the body. So you're killing the bad cells, but you're killing good ones too. You have to burn the body from the inside out to kill the cells. And I'm not saying that to scare anyone or make people rethink about having treatment. I'm saying it for the people who may be listening who don't have cancer and maybe that loved one has cancer or they're caring for someone or even a coworker to give grace to people who are going through this because it is a mind fuck. It is this thing where you, you're literally sitting there. I mean, radiation, they come, they get you molded and ready mm-hmm. and then they have to get out. They can't be anywhere. You're, you're freaking radioactive. I don't wow. think people really understand that. You are radioactive. You know, now I remember I went someplace a couple years ago and they were like, oh, you can just walk around here because, you know, we don't want to give you any extra radiation. Please. I'm almost at my capacity anyway. This won't hurt me. (laughs) You know? Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, like it was funny to me. Right. And and things shouldn't be funny, but that's the way we survive it. Yeah. I have to, you'll see, I use a lot of humor because I'm a naturally humorous person. And it doesn't mean that I don't recognize the serious adverse events that I've been through, but it literally is one of those things where, you know, one day you'll find me cussing and shaking my head and the next moment you'll see me doing a holy praise dance because it hits me in so many different ways. And I want people to survive and thrive, right? Because sometimes we just survive and we're just waking up every day. Yeah. It's meaningless and it's, we're stuck. And again, I don't mean that you have to be a rock star at whatever you do, but I want you to wake up every day and be grateful for the life that you have. And I want you to live it, whatever that looks like for you and not give up on yourself. Yeah. Yes. And one thing that I've been wrestling with is giving space for the the breath of that experience because for a couple years I was just kind of waking up and not happy I was just kind of surviving um I wasn't trying to do anything with my life I was just kind of like sitting in this pit and hanging out in the pit Mm -hmm. I had no aspirations for anything more than that and what I kind of reconciled it with is 
I was hoping that it was okay that I could just feel like that for however long I needed to feel like that. But always in my back of my mind, knowing, well, this has to be temporary, Mm -hmm. but I just didn't know that quote unquote temporary was going to be a couple of years until I started thinking future oriented. And I, I, I've shared this before, but the first kind of future thought that I had was when I said like, oh, I want to do a TED talk. And I was like, oh shit, are you thinking about the future? <laughs> right? Like, are you not in this pit anymore? And so I don't know, if you, I'm sure you realize it, but people who are listening and they really understand what you're saying here. Mm, all right. Not- d- dig down into it a little yeah, bit. You couldn't see yourself in the future. I could not. That is, yeah. Tamika, that is, I could not see myself in the future. And I was in so much pain and so much despair that as you talk about like, oh, I wanted to live a long life. I had no aspirations for that. I was like, live more days and years like this. Yeah. I, I could not, even if I wanted to force a future thought. You couldn't see yourself in the future. I could That's one of those things until you've experienced this or something like this, you can't really truly understand it, right? Yeah. Because you, you're like, wait a minute. No. You mean <laughs> I'm going to be a grandma? I'm going to have a family? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be an adjunct professor at so is Like, you can't, you can't. I couldn't see it. You can't see yourself. I couldn't. Yeah. And I think, you know, you more than me, like, I'm just, I'm new to this, but like being in a space where you can talk about your traumas, talk about your cancer journey and do so a lot and do so publicly, people forget or don't understand that we've navigated Mm -hmm. through a hell of a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious for you, like, what has your experience been like over the years navigating people's expectations of how over it you are or kind of what that journey is like, oh, it was dark. And now I talk about it and everything's cool. And I want people to survive and and thrive. You're like, wait, there was that period where it was tough. Yeah, it was bleak. I I literally remember thinking like, wait, I'm going to be okay. Mm. Like a question mark at the end. Like, I'm going to make it. Okay. Yeah, question mark. And, 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 And when you say those things, it's also like, the broken shell of who you once were. So basically what you're surviving isn't to be who you were prior to cancer. You're surviving the broken shell, the pieces that cancer have left you to work with, essentially. Yeah. Like, so you're taking what's left and making a way with that. And that's what people don't understand. And so people, especially family and friends, they think, cool, you're done with treatment you're back to where you were. Let's do this, Tamika. Like, we got this. Yeah. And I remember friends wanted to go to the mall, wanted to go to the club. I was a huge clubber. Like, I tore the club up. Like, it's probably why I'm okay with not partying so hard now, because I partied hard, right? Yeah. And I just remember, you know, this is funny. Like, my friends love telling this story. They wanted to go to a club. And I was like, I don't want to go to the club. But I also had this desire to just be normal, right? Whatever that is, however normal you can be once you're diagnosed with cancer at 25. And I remember being in the club and instead of dancing where I was just doing a lame kind of ish two step. Two step. Because I didn't want, I was just like, 
my body hasn't fully healed. What if something pops open? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like you have all these crazy thoughts and you're scared to live fully because you're waiting for the bottom to fall out again. And that's no way to live. And so for me, I had to find a way to not only survive, but thrive in my survivorship. You know, you figure it out as you go. And I wrote a book, Seriously, What Are You Waiting For? 13 Actions to Ignite Your Life and to Achieve the Ultimate Comeback. Because for me, it felt like a comeback. Not necessarily of what I was doing before. I mean, they're pieces of me, right? But there's also this new part of me that, you know, is learning and navigating. And I tell people all the time, like, they're just like, well, you're just so happy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I have days when I, I mean, I just cried with you. I know, (laughs) like five minutes ago. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, you never know what it's going to, what it's going to be like. But what I do, I honor those feelings. You know, before, I always tell people, one of my actions in the book, have a freaking pity party. I cannot stand when somebody, and I, and this didn't happen overnight, right? I came to this. When someone is just like, you got to be strong. Pray, be strong, said no one who's ever had cancer. (laughs) Legit. Legit. You got to be strong. Don't cry. You get diagnosed with cancer and tell me if you don't cry. Let me know how that goes for you. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not that I want to be just so mean and witchy, right? But we've got to stop that. We've got to say, cry. We've got to say, it's okay to have your pity yeah. party. You know, I don't want people to be in a pity party forever, but we have to grieve. I had to be able to grieve losing my fertility at 25 at a time when my friends were getting married and having kids and baby showers were just, just thrown down my throat repeatedly and not because they wanted to, because they would ask me. Remember, I had a friend, she just looked at me and she was like, are you okay? And I was grinning and smiling like, mm-hmm. I was not okay. But I told her, she probably, I'm sure she knew it, but I wasn't okay. Cause I was like, I'm never going to have this. And it wasn't about having a shower with presents and gifts. Like I am never going to be pregnant. I'm never going to feel a baby kick. I'm never going to know what it's like to poop on myself and push a kid out. Like, I'm not going to know those things. People have this thing, like, I've always Mm. wanted to be a mother. They talk about it all the time. I was never one of those girls. And it didn't mean that I didn't want to be a mom, but I was never one of those girls. Like, I was always talking about, I'm going to be Oprah. I'm going to have this show. I'm going to have my own TV show. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But I was never talking about, I'm going to be a mom. But that doesn't negate the fact that I wanted to be a mom. And I look at my life now and I have a great life. I have a wonderful life. And I'm so blessed to still be able to breathe and live. But cancer took so many things away from me. I mean, cancer took a good decade and a half from me. When I tell people that, they, you know, especially people who weren't there, Or if people who are there and they really sit down and think about it, it took a decade and a half for me. Yeah. Because when I wasn't fighting the cancer, I was trying to live life beyond it. 
and it took a decade and a half, truly. And I can't do anything about it. I remember like when someone offered for me to see a therapist or the social worker at the hospital. And I was like, I don't need a therapist. Like, hell, I didn't, <laughs> you know, but I didn't know that. I didn't know it then, you know. I know now that I was depressed from being diagnosed with cancer. And I remember telling my doctor at one point, this was after I was in the survivorship phase, which is why I talk so much about thriving in, in that phase. And I remember I told my doctor that I was depressed and he laughed. He said, you're not depressed. I know people who are depressed. What? Because I'm a naturally happy person, right? And he was wrong. Yep. And I look back at what happened to me and I think, how the fuck could I not be depressed? How could I not be depressed? How could I not be depressed getting diagnosed with cancer at 25, losing my fertility? How could I not be depressed? Being away from most of my family and friends, essentially being alone in a new city, new-ish, right? Mm -hmm. um, having to be treated at a hospital that's not only far away from my house, but also known around the world for all these unique and special things. I remember walking into that hospital every day and sometimes I would just stand there and it would take everything within me to keep going. I remember pulling into a parking space and just sitting in the car and just zoning out and you know, as a good Southern girl, those aren't the things that we're supposed to talk about, right? Yeah. We're supposed to talk about, praise God, I survived it. You know, I put it behind me. And yeah, that part is true too. But I talk about the other stuff because I think it's important for us to not only know what you see in public, but also know what it's like behind closed doors. Yeah. Being strong can kill you. Yeah. Being strong can put you more at risk than it can to protect you because maybe you don't understand that you need help. Other people can't see that you need help because you have all these ways to cope and be in the world that keeps you high functioning. Yeah. Where people then don't believe that you're in pain, you need help, you're struggling, you need support. My own doctor said I wasn't depressed. Yeah. And I had a great doctor. Yes. And he said, you're not depressed. I know people who are depressed and you're not depressed. I don't know anything more invalidating than that. Right. And I think what's difficult and people might see in your story is, and they think this is very typical and expected of women of color, Black women, that we create out of our trauma. We create spaces for ourselves what we do, even despite our own hurts, can be so generative. And that's evidenced in your story too. Wrote a book, you have this organization, your, your life and your work around cancer advocacy is such a big part of who you are. And maybe people can't see past everything you've created to understand I that. I have. Yeah. I built what I didn't have, I built what I needed. And you needed something. Um, I tell people all the time when they're yeah. like, 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. I was like, don't thank me. I built this for selfish reasons. I, I did this for me. This is my podcast. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I told, like, I let people know, like, yes, I'm so glad you are benefiting from the fruits of my labor, but I did this for me. So what, what do you think about that? Like, cause I, I'm still struggling with this and I'm curious for you cause you've been doing this for a longer time. It's like people using your life and your trauma to better their lives in some way. And I'm like, it's weird. It, okay. <laughs> Can you please yeah, talk about it, that? It's, it's weird. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. Like it's, so I'm thankful that I can be a bright light, right. For people, but it comes with its own baggage. Yeah. You know, people put you on a pedestal, people expect certain things from you. And at the end of the day, so for my organization, I went to be just one of them, right? I'm no longer just one of them. And not because I don't want to be, you know, mm-hmm. it's because of where they view me and where they put me, which is hard sometimes, right? Like, because I just want to be one of my fellow survivors. And, you know, we spell it C-E-R-V-I-V-O-R. But... Because you're focusing on cerebral cancer. Yes. And I mean, I do work in cancer in general, but my organization is for cervical cancer. And a lot of times I feel like, well, I'm not... Because I'm not one of you. And, you know, sometimes I feel like maybe it's my own thing. But as it evolves... I've definitely grown into that leadership role, but sometimes I just want to be one of the people in the community. Like when I had a scare three, four years ago, I had a scare and I also felt like, well, nobody cares about me, (laughs) you know, know, like I can't share it in the same way. And so that's when that creative side of me comes out. So I wrote a blog post. That was my way of just getting it out. Right. Mm. Because I feel it in such a way, but yeah, I, when I, I did it, I literally didn't want to be the only one. I didn't want to be alone. And so that's why if you look at our organization, you always see you're not alone. It's from my own experience of feeling so alone in this diagnosis of cervical cancer, feeling so alone as someone who is 25 and having to go through a radical hysterectomy, feeling so alone as someone who needed to save their life, should have preserved fertility, but couldn't come up with the insane amount of money to do it. I I built what I needed. I built what I wish I had. And I am so happy that people are benefiting from that. But yes, it's a very weird thing that it came from my own trauma. But, you know, we all have a story. We all have a purpose here in life. This is not what I thought my purpose was going to be. And I remember when I was struggling back in like 2014 and I hated my boss. I hated my boss. You look up horrible boss. Think about that movie. My Uh boss's picture should be there. Like just a douchebag. Right. Mm. And he made it hard for me. But what I realized was I had outgrown him. I had outgrown the station. I had outgrown the people. I wanted to continue to tell stories, but the stories that we were telling, political stories, governmental stories, those weren't the stories that I wanted to share any longer. And so my heart wasn't really in it. I was getting a check, but my heart wasn't in it. And when you survive cancer, it's like, do you want to spend so much time at a place? I mean, more time than you spend at home and you're miserable. 
And so I started literally creating the life that I wanted and realizing that, you know, I don't have to retire from this job or I don't have to do this. And every time I'm not happy, I can pivot, right? I can pivot. I love that so much. Yeah. Cancer allowed me to feel okay doing it. I, I think that connects to what you're talking about, like cancer helping you understand the meaning of life. And I hate when people talk about like the blessings of cancers or whatever, but my tolerance for nonsense is, I have a very, very low tolerance for nonsense. I, I do too. Because- It takes everything in me not to cuss people out. But I also believe in if it's warranted, cuss them all the way out. All the way out, right? Yeah. Like I, when it comes to my mental health, my emotional health, my physical health, it is non-negotiable. Yes. And it took me a long time to get there. Yeah. People are like, you've always been like that, but I'm, it's different. I feel different about yes, it. Yes. Yes. And people say that about me, like, oh, you've always been brave. You've always been courageous. You've always been like, no bullshit. And I'm like, there was a, a, a shell of that. And I think yes. what cancer does is what I've been talking about it as an edited life. Mm-hmm. So there are parts of your life, especially with these expectations, like being so young that have to go. Because when you're facing a cancer diagnosis and you have to make life and death decisions or really serious decisions at a young age, you can only take some pieces out. And so when you survive that, how do you bring back in the bullshit? Right. So you have this edited version of yours. You can't. So you have, you, you have this edited version of yourself. Well, well, then the pieces that you do have left, you double down on it. And so if I was no bullshit before, I mean it now. I understand that so freaking much, right? Like, yeah, I mean, you you just, you you can't allow it. Cause you, cause I, I literally can picture myself. Sometimes I just like, wait a minute. Do you know I survived cancer? How yeah. dare you speak to me? How dare you disrupt my peace, right? Like, do you know what I went through yeah. to be in this world? Yep. <laughs> I'm yeah. about that life. Yes. That, it's not the typical I'm about that life. I'll beat you to no, know I'm about that life. I'm about living my life and living life the way that I want to live it. And if you don't like it, I can't create space for that. No. And I I oh I needed this day because the past couple of days I've, I'm trying to weigh a lot of different decisions of like where do I want to live and like navigating crazy literary agents then and like all these isn't isn't it at a different level yeah (laughs) yes yes and i'm like trying to figure out because it matters right yeah you're like the time that i have here and look so our time we're gonna live long lives potentially if we die it probably won't be because of cancer yeah but the decisions that we make for our lives matter. So yeah, some stuff we can be like sadistical about, but there's some things it matters. It matters. And I think my confidence- You don't waste time. You don't waste time. And I think my confidence in making my decisions is much stronger because I always go back to like, you have already made the hardest decisions with very little resources, right? And so now years later, it's quicker for me to like, yes, no, yes, no. 
And then for things that do take a little bit more time, I feel more equipped on how to make those decisions because I think I'm more about self-preservation and self-determination and self-actualization more than I was before. It's not self-centered, it's self-centering. And when I think about, well, what do you want, Jodi Ann? What matters to you? Because what matters to you is the only thing that matters. And I think in the work that we do in sharing our stories and how we're uplifting people who have navigated things similar to us, I strongly believe that when we dig down in ourselves, especially as women of color, that what we do for ourselves is generative for other people. And so I don't feel bad about like, well, what do you want? Because a lot of times what I want can also be helpful for other people. And it's just like, it's, I can't even describe it, but I don't even know if people haven't gone through it, they don't understand, but it's like, you have to support yourself more than anything. Like the self is so important. Your health is so important. Your mental state is so important. Your happiness is so important. And it is at a level that feels non-negotiable now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I quit my job. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't at peace. It was making my home life toxic. It was, I couldn't leave it at the door, right? Yeah. And I survived cancer. Do anything. Exactly. Exactly. That type of power, it could be scary for some people. Yes. Yes. Like to see, like Tamika is doing her thing. And it's not people, I mean, I'm experiencing this right now. Like, you know, my TED talk hit a million today and this and like, oh yeah. Thank you, boo. Yes. Let these people know. And so when you have these successes in your life, people are like, oh, look at, you know, Jody and look at Tamika, they're doing a thing. And I'm like, this is a trauma response. Like, (laughs) but your growth scares them. Your growth scares people. Your growth scares them. And especially when they thought you would be stunted by this traumatic thing that's happened to you, but yet you've been able to flower and bloom despite it all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially if you've always been a go-getter. So I was always kind of like a go-getter in that way. And then, you know, the haters, they're just like, okay, well, finally, something's not perfect, you know? And I'm just making us, no one said that to me, but it's what I assume from different things in life. But we have this innate thing in us to survive and succeed. And yeah, life isn't going to, it's not where I thought I was going to be, but it's not, it's not terribly bad either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's actually good, you know, but if I, I look at my journals and I still have my journal from when I was a little youngster sitting in my room in South Carolina with my Pegasus unicorn, you know, on the Mm -hmm, cover. mm -hmm. And I, from time to time, pull it out. And I remember my stepdaughter would laugh. She was like, why do you still have this? I said, because at the heart of who I am, I'm always a dreamer. Yeah. And I've always got a dream in my heart. And cancer never stopped that. It paused it momentarily. But now it's just reminded me that it's important to still dream. So I still say my wishes my dreams and I write them down and I put them out don't let there be a full moon I'm gonna go outside and I'm gonna yell it to the moon you know (laughs) so what are you what are you dreaming of now 
So for me, I am dreaming of TED Talks, documentaries, books, but I also have not closed the door on birthing something. You know, I birthed my organization, I birthed many things, and but I still see this human, right? And I don't know what that'll look like for me. And I've realized that I left the door cracked open. And so I wanna be open to receive all the gifts that come my way, right? A lot of times we get lost in the traumatic experience and we don't look at the evolution, right? We, we also get so wrapped into what other people think. Or I remember um, when I was in my 20s, I wanted to be, you know, on 20 by 20 list. Then it was a 30 by 30 list. Yeah. <laughs> and as I get older, I'm missing all the lists. But I don't think about the list that I am on or the achievements, accolades that I've received. But we think about, you know, growing up, like I remember this person got this, this, this. I want to be a part of this. And sometimes we just have to sit back and clap for the things that we have achieved. Pat ourselves on the back, right? Yeah. Um, and my life has been awesome. Awesome. I still don't want it to end yet, but I'm like, if it were to end, I've had a good life. Yeah. It ain't over. It's far don't, from don't, over. Don't misunderstand me. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. not over. It's not over. But it's been good. But it's been good. And it's been good because I've made it so. It doesn't mean that it's been without hardships, hurdles, bumps, forks in the road. But it has been good because I have decidedly said that it will be good. And when I feel myself in toxic environments, when I feel myself being pulled into things that I really don't want to do, I remove myself. And I want people to really hear me when I say this. When you remove yourself from things, it doesn't have to be some grand dramatic removal. Yeah. Sometimes you can just fade to black. Yeah. I actually prefer that now. Like... <laughs> And I tell people, ooh, when I fade to black, that's when you should be scared. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when I tell my husband, if we're arguing and then I just stop, ooh, son, you should be scared. <laughs> yep. Yep. I saw this meme the other day that's like when black people say, oh, no, it's all right. I'm fine. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's not fine. Or if you say, okay, then. Okay, then. Yep. <laughs> all right. That's cool. Yeah. That's for me. If I'm like, all right, that's cool. Yeah. That's me fading to black. Or when I say, it doesn't even matter. We're good. Oh, yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it matter. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I'm fading to black. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm choosing myself in this right now. And those free radicals that stress does to your body, I have to walk away from that because, again, not non-negotiable. Stress brings on cancer cells in a yes. No, so don't stress my life. <laughs> yes, all, all your, your toxic workplaces where you're just trying to get whatever you're trying to get.
And that talks with friends. One of my rules in the yeah. book is you have to cut back or cut off people. And that includes family. So maybe you have family that you can't completely cut off. You can cut them back or cut them way back. I think a lot of people get caught up in this. Well, you know, this is just my sister and this is how she is. No, screw that. Yeah. And again, it's not you being an asshole, like, or it's not, it's not anything about them. It's just like you really, and with clear eyes, reading your life and making decisions for your own survival and preservation. There are just some people too, that your spirit doesn't mesh well with. So I definitely know that my spirit does not mesh well. I'm a people person, right? Yeah. But that doesn't mean all people belong in my presence, right? So if I, I remember I met this cancer survivor and she really, for whatever reason, felt this certain way about me. She was like, well, I reached out to you for this and then this didn't happen. And, you know, I'm like, you could look at my, I'm the first one to say, like, if you email me or message me and I get a lot, not bragging, it's just the truth. And sometimes I just, I can't think about cancer 24 seven. I need cancer breaks, right? And especially because now I'm an advocate and working more in this space, but she was really in her feelings and I understood it, but she was done with me. And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When I was done with her, she felt some type of way. And I'm like, well, which one do you want? And I was just like, I don't have the capacity. My new thing is I don't have the capacity. (laughs) That's my new thing. I'm like, I don't have the capacity. So you're going to have to tell me what you want. I love... uh I'm going to copy paste that. Like, I think that's the thing that I type to people the most often. Somebody sent it to me and I was like, Ooh, I'm taking I'm that. Take that. <laughs> or my, here's one that I've been using. I'm currently not available for blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Cur- I'm currently not available for that. <laughs> yeah. So my capacity for toxic bullshit. <laughs> um, I'm currently not available for toxic bullshit. <laughs> Well, you can try me in a couple months. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> well, I think what's what I what I want to wrap here with too, and then what I hear in your story, and I think what I also needed to hear today is like this like feeling better has to be actively worked on and it's an active decision. Yes. Constantly. And I think yes, there is a point where you maybe like tip over to a different phase of survivorship, but that doesn't mean that a lot of this is on autopilot. Well, that's why in my, in, in my book, I literally was like, are these tips? Are these steps? And I'm like, yeah. these are actions. Right? Yes. And they're all common sense actions. Every single tip is something that you know, but you have to take action on it, right? So yeah. you have to remove toxic people. You have to be aware of energy vampires. You have to be your own cheerleader. Surround yourself with cheerleaders, not fear leaders. You have to keep swimming, even if you don't know how to swim, right? Yeah. You gotta float until you can swim. Do something so that you can keep moving forward. But you know, like my parents have passed, and you know, so I don't have I have people in my life, but not those parentals to guide me in that way. So these are things that you know I was taught, but through life sometimes you forget. Mm-hmm. And, and and you're right. And I'm glad that that came out in what I was sharing because I want people to take those actions or come up with their own actions so that they can just keep going. A lot of times, again, you just need a push or, you know, my parents would say a little swift kick in the booty, you know, as a reminder to keep going. Because life is, is hard. It's, it's not easy. It's filled with peaks and valleys and, 
you know, volcanoes and earthquakes and devastation. And it's true, it's like how you react to them, but sometimes you're gonna fall to your knees. But what if you could just get up and keep moving? I love it. Thank you so much for sharing and connecting with me. Yeah. I needed this today. Yeah. Yeah. Black Cancer is created, edited, and produced by me, Jody Ambiri. Thank you so much, Tamika, for sharing your story with us. To make sure that other Black Cancer stories become center to how we talk about cancer, like, subscribe, just take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out our website at blackcancer.co and on Instagram at underscore black underscore cancer. Trauma comes with endless wisdom for ourselves and those around us. Tell someone you know about Black Cancer.